Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. The grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Hi everyone, and thanks for tuning in today. My name is Aaron, and I am one of the pastors at Exilic, and I want to welcome you to our virtual online service today. Believe it or not, we are heading into week nine of our quarantine. And if you are tired of even hearing the word quarantine, I don't blame you because I think we all are. But one of the things that this quarantine is doing to all of us is that it's molding and shaping us. And it's molding and shaping our habits in particular. It's shaping our sleeping habits, it's shaping our eating habits, it's shaping our binging habits, it's shaping new addictions, it's shaping and molding the potency of old addictions. And because we're all creatures of habit, one of the things that we're going to do, whether we know it or not, is that we're going to carry with us our good habits and bad habits into our post-quarantine life. And so the goal of this series is to stop our bad habits, start new good habits, and to carry our new good habits with us into our post-quarantine life. And so we're starting a new sermon series today that we're going to do to the end of June, and we're calling it Atomic Spiritual Habits, How Our Tiny Habits Can Produce Big, Big Change. And if this title rings a bell at all, it's because it's based upon James Clear's New York Times bestselling book, Atomic Habits, which is one of the best books on habits I've ever read. And Clear defines an atomic habit this way. Clear says, This is the meaning of the phrase atomic habits. It's a regular practice or routine that is not only small and easy to do, but it's also the source of incredible power. Just as atoms are the building blocks of molecules, atomic habits are the building blocks of remarkable results. An atom is tiny, but it can produce an atomic explosion. And similarly, our tiny spiritual habits can produce explosive growth uh, in our spiritual lives as well. Now, if you've grown up in the church at all, you've probably heard a gluttony of sermons on the importance of reading the Bible, the importance of prayer, the importance of uh, habitually going to church every week. And usually when we hear these sermons, it goes in one ear and out the other, and it doesn't make one difference in our lives at all. And one of the reasons for that is because we're told what to do, but we're not told why we should do it. We're given reasons to do things, but we're not given reasons why we should do these things. And our doing shapes our whoing. And so who we want to become as a result of doing these things is really, really important. And so if we were to do these spiritual habits, how do these spiritual habits, what what do they shape us to become? And if I can hang this entire sermon series on just two verses, it would be 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. 
And 1 Timothy 4, 7 says this, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. In 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16, it says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And all of God's people said, who wants that? And a part of the reason why we don't really want to be godly or holy is because it sort of has a distaste in our mouths. The same kind of distaste that cilantro always had for me when I was a kid. It was simply undesirable and quite frankly, unappealing. Uh, you know, in Donald Whitney's classic book on spiritual disciplines, he says that discipline without direction, it's drudgery. But my question is, what if you do give people a clear direction of what they could become, but it still sounds like drudgery? Then what are you supposed to do? Well, one of the things that has helped me is a quote from the French writer Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. And he says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. And so my Herculean task for this sermon and for this entire sermon series is to help you long for the beautiful sea of godliness and holiness, because nothing is more attractive about a person than their godliness. It's not their height, their face, their body type, their portfolio, their smarts, their resume, their sense of humor, nothing is more attractive about a person than their godliness or their God-likeness. Which is why Paul writes this letter, contextually speaking, to his young protege, Timothy. And you have to keep in mind that this first letter that he writes to Timothy is one of the last letters that Paul would ever write. And when you hear a person's final words, you should pay special attention to what they're saying because their final words sort of represent the, the accumulated wisdom that they've acquired in their lives. And there's no question when you read Paul's letter to Timothy that the dominant emphasis that Paul is making to Timothy is for him to live a godly life. The word godliness appears 15 times in the New Testament, but did you know that in Paul's first letter to Timothy, the word godliness appears nine times alone. It is clear that Paul wants for his parting urgent words to Timothy to be, live a godly life. And those are not only his words to uh, Timothy, but that is God's word to us as well. Now here's the challenge. Oftentimes the godly life sounds like the boring life. It doesn't exactly sound like the good life. And a part of that is uh, based upon what Paul says in verse 7 again. Paul says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. The irreverent, silly myths that Paul is talking about here are the cultural narratives of his time about who people should become and what the good life looks like. And similarly, we also have those cultural narratives of who we should become and what the good life looks also looks like. You know, one of the shows that um, I can't wait to watch every Sunday night is a docu-series called The Last Dance. 
And if you haven't seen it before, it's based upon Michael Jordan's last season with the Chicago Bulls. And growing up as a kid in the 80s and 90s, uh, one of my favorite commercials was the Gatorade commercial uh, with Michael Jordan. And the theme song was Like Mike, I Wanna Be Like Mike. And growing up as a basketball fanatic, I remember uh, playing in my cousin's front yard all the time with this broken down eight foot rim. And we would stick out our tongues and try and dunk the ball. And we, we wanted to be like Mike. Uh, and the truth of the matter is, even if you didn't like sports in the 80s and 90s, we all wanted to be like Mike. And so it was surprising watching the most recent episode last Sunday uh, in episode six when Jordan uh, opened up the episode by saying this. A lot of people say they try, they'd like to try and be Michael Jordan for a day or for a week, but I don't think they quite understand that it's no fun. This is not one of those lifestyles that you envy where you're confined to this hotel room. I'm ready for getting out of this life and you know when you, you, know when you get to that point and I'm there, no reservations at all, I'm there. And here's the irony of what Michael Jordan is saying. The irony is that we all wanna be like Mike, but even Mike doesn't wanna be like Mike. In fact, he was so done being Michael Jordan that he retired from the NBA and basically vanished from thin air. And the example that I just gave to you is a pretty high level example of how our cultural narratives are thin and narrow. They are nothing but silly myths that will leave us empty and hollow. But it's possible that this example that I just gave you of, of wanting to be like Mike and leaving us hollow, it's possible that this example that I just gave you might not necessarily move your heart or change the trajectory of the life that you are living right now. And a part of that is because we typically don't wanna be people we don't know. We wanna be like people we do know. We don't usually envy people we don't know. We envy people that we do know. We envy the people that are in our social circles. We envy people that are in our vocational circles and we want what they have. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be the best NBA player in the world. There's nothing wrong with wanting to succeed in your company or, or going to the Hamptons every weekend. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be a YouTube celebrity, which one out of three kids today wanna to be. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but it can't ultimately be who we wanna become and the life that we wanna have. And Paul explains why in verse eight. And this is what he says. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So physical training does have some value, but it's limited to just that, the physical dimensions of life. Vocational training does have some value, but it's limited to just that, the vocational dimensions of our lives. But notice what Paul says about godliness. He says that godliness has value in every way. And the reason why godliness has value in every way is because it penetrates every sphere of our lives. It leads to a healthier understanding of ourselves, healthier understanding of other people, healthier marriages, healthier parenting, healthier morality, healthier work ethic, healthier understanding of our social responsibilities. The goal of the Christian life is not for us just to go to heaven, the goal of the Christian life is to get as much of heaven into our lives right now 
and we would refer to that as godliness. You know what? Similarly, hell is not just a place that people go to. Hell is a place that people can carry with them in their hearts right now. And we would refer to that as ungodliness. And you know what ungodliness leads to? An unhealthy view of ourselves. Drama in our relationships. Unhealthy uh, work ethic. Unhealthy understanding of morality. And so the question now is, well, how do we become more godly then? Because a godly person, because they have so much of heaven in their lives, because they have so much of God-likeness in their lives, whatever they touch, so much as they can control, whatever they touch, it leads to flourishing, health, and healing. So the question is, how do we become more godly then? And Paul says in verse 7, have nothing to do again with irreverent silly myths. And he says, rather train yourselves for godliness. And the word that is used here for train is the Greek word gymnazo. And you can hear the root word of gymnazo in the word that we use for gymnasium. And you can almost feel the sweat on this word. And I don't think Paul chose this word unintentionally, but I do think that he chose this word intentionally because if you want to succeed in anything in life, and that also includes godliness, it takes hard work and it also takes a lot of effort. Steph Curry doesn't become the best shooter in the world without good habits and hard work. You don't pivot your career uh, to coding by taking this boot camp without good training and good habits. You don't uh, run a marathon without hard work and good habits. If we want to do anything good in life and succeed in anything, we need to have good habits. And similarly, I would say I have never met a godly person in my life with bad spiritual habits. Every godly person I know has good spiritual habits. So our behavior should never be separated from our beliefs. And so this is why in verse 10, Paul also says, for to this end, we toil and strive. What end is he talking about? The end he's talking about is godliness. And how do we get godliness? We toil and we strive. We put in hard work and we put in a lot of effort. Uh, when I was in high school just a couple of years ago, uh, every morning I used to read a book by Oswald Chambers called My Utmost for His Highest. And I don't remember anything that I've read in that book, but the title has stuck with me over the years. My Utmost for His Highest. What does it mean to give our utmost to something? It means to put in hard work, to give all of our energy towards some goal or task, and we are to give our utmost for His glory, but we're also called to give our utmost for our own godliness. James Clear says in Atomic Habits, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs, but as a vote's built up, so does the evidence of your new identity. This is one reason why meaningful change does not require radical change. Small habits can make a meaningful difference by providing evidence of a new identity. And if a change is meaningful, it is actually big. That's the paradox of making small improvements. I'll never forget the first time that Hannah and I went to the dentist together because for whatever reason, the dentist took uh, an x-ray of both of our teeth and then he put them side by side. And one set of x-rays was, uh, was completely perfect. 
no cavities, no fillings at all, and they were the model of pearly white teeth, and of course they were Hannah's teeth. The other set of x-rays were Tremine. It looked like it was taken of the Terminator because I have screws in my teeth for my implants, I have cavities, I have fillings all over the place. And a part of the reason for that is because I inherited awful genes from my teeth. Another reason is because during my bachelor years, we used to have a separate fridge just for Diet Coke, vitamin and water, and other sugary drinks. But the other part of it is because I, I never used to floss or rinse my mouth with mouthwash. And so about eight years ago, I implemented two tiny changes into my life. I stopped drinking soda and other sugary drinks, but the other habit I started doing was flossing my teeth and rinsing my mouth with mouthwash. And as a result of these two tiny habits, stopping one and starting another, I haven't gotten a cavity or filling in over eight years. One tiny habit, two tiny habits, can lead to explosive growth in our lives. Our habits today shape who we become tomorrow. So if you want to know what your future self looks like, all you have to do is follow the trail of your habits. So what do your spiritual habits then look like? Again, keep in mind that we don't automatically just become godly. We don't stumble into godliness. We don't accidentally become godly. We have to train ourselves to be godly. And so if we're not actively training ourselves to be godly, you know what we're doing? We are passively training ourselves to be ungodly. And if you continue on this path of ungodliness or non-existent spiritual habits, this is what your life in the future will potentially look like. You're going to say things like, I didn't think my life would end up this way. I didn't expect this. I didn't know that this would cost me so much. I didn't know that I would lose this much, lose my marriage, lose my kids, lose my job, but most of all, lose my name and lose my reputation. And if your future self could talk to your present self right now, you know what they probably say? This didn't happen overnight. This happened one bad habit at a time. And you know what your future self would tell your present self? You have to change your habits today because your habits today shape who you become tomorrow. Now you might be thinking, well, I wanna change. I don't wanna have this uh, habit of having a bad temper or this habit of uh, remembering everything that the other person has done in my life and using it as ammunition against them. I don't wanna have this bad habit of watching porn or being addicted to alcohol. I don't want to have these bad habits, whether it's laziness or whatever it might be, but you might feel like you're stuck. And if you are, I really want to share this quote with you from Elise Fitzpatrick, which has helped me. And she says, in my pursuit of godliness, have I left Jesus behind? Am I more focused on my performance for him or his performance for me? You want to know what the key to change is, how to stop your bad habits and how to start good ones? It's not by focusing on your own performance, but it's by focusing on His. You know, one of the things that uh, frustrates my wife Hannah about uh, preachers and sermons is that we often say that Jesus died for your sins, but we never say why He had to die for your sins. And one of the reasons why Jesus had to die for our sins is because of His attributes. 
Uh, but there's one attribute in particular for why he had to die for us. And this one attribute is the only attribute of God that is repeated three times. Scripture never says God is love, love, love. Scripture never says God is compassionate, compassionate, compassionate. The only attribute that is said of God three times, the only attribute is that God is holy, holy, holy. And because God is holy and we are not, because God is godly and we are ungodly, and because God cannot be in the presence of anything that is tarnished, ungodly, or unholy, that is the reason why he died for our sins. He died to make us ungodly people godly again. And the example that I like to use is that of NASA. Imagine that we're all astronauts and we want to go on this expedition to Mars in three days. And there's this windshield manufacturing company that uh, makes our windshield for our space shuttle. And they say, we finished the product, but we do want you we do want you to know that there's a um, three centimeter crack at the bottom right of the windshield, but we've been monitoring for a few days and the crack hasn't grown at all. Now, if you were one of those astronauts that was going to Mars, would you accept that windshield? There's no way you would, why? Because imperfect windshields don't get to go to outer space, only perfect ones do. And similarly, imperfect people don't go to heaven. Only perfect people do. But the problem is, none of us are perfect. Um, in Hebrews 12, 14, it says, Make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And here the problem is, first of all, we don't make every effort to be holy. And secondly, only holy people can see God. And none of us are holy. But I do want you to know this that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus makes ungodly people godly. One of the reasons why Jesus had to live a perfect life was not only to demonstrate to us what the perfect life looks like and that we should have lived this perfect life, but he not only did it to demonstrate to us the kind of life we should have lived, but he also lived that perfect life to deposit that perfect life into our moral bank account as if we had lived the life of Jesus as if we had his resume himself. But you know what? Jesus not only deposits and demonstrates that perfect life for us and on our behalf, but he also dies for all of our sins. But he not only does that, he also gives us the power to break the power of sin in our lives as well. You know, one of the things that I love about Sarah's story are all of the new habits that she is implementing in her life. And so whether it's praying or memorizing scripture, because every time you do a good habit, you are casting a vote for the kind of person that you wanna become. If you write a blog, you're casting a vote for yourself as a writer. If you run a mile, you're casting a vote for yourself as a runner. And similarly speaking, when you read the word, when you spend time in prayer, what you're doing is you are casting a vote for yourself as a godly person, as a person that wants to pursue God. So my question to you today is this, who do you want to become? And what kind of habits are you implementing into your life today to become that kind of person? You know, as I think about my own life, I want to be a great father. I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great pastor. I want to be a great friend. But more than anything else, what I want to be is a godly man. 
for my two little girls. I would love for them to go to good schools, have a great job, get married, have kids, for us to become grandparents. But what I want most for them is to be godly, simply to love the Lord. But the only, that, only way we can do that is by training ourselves in godliness. But let me finish with this. Even though our godly habits can change us and can change our love for God, I also want you to know that your bad habits, they will never change God's love for you. And the reason for that is because God is in the habit of showing grace and he is in the habit of showing you forgiveness. So I want you to know that every time you relapse into your bad habits, his grace is sufficient for you and his power is made perfect in your weakness. Let's pray together.